Me and my partners decided to part ways, and I went through a course actually at CFDA. It was all about working more sustainably, designing responsibly. So it was a crash course in sustainable textiles and production, and a bigger education about our responsibility to the planet. And I was like, you know what? If I'm going to stay in this industry, I know I'm intelligent enough to do it better. You know, I can keep learning. And I think at a certain stage in your career, to have that opportunity is like a gift because you've been doing things a certain way for a really long time. And to be able to approach it anew with fresh eyes and to be able to learn how to do your work differently and to approach it from a different angle. I was so excited by that challenge. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to a Fashion Moment podcast. Whether you're a fashion lover or just fashion curious, welcome. I literally love bringing you one-on-one interviews week after week with your fashion favorites. I get inspired every time, and I hope you do too. This podcast is not sponsored, and all of us here are freely giving our time because we all believe in this, and we love it. I would love to continue this great work and bring you even more content, exclusive features, and live events in the years ahead. If you love the podcast or just want to support, buy me a coffee. Yes, a coffee. You can visit buymeacoffee.com slash a fashion moment to become a fashion friend for one coffee a month, $5, or click the support tab to grab any amount you'd like. Again, that's buymeacoffee.com slash a fashion moment. Thank you for supporting us. Now on to the show. Hey, fashion fam. This is a major moment for me. And seriously, there are so many more on the way this season. It's insane how my fashion career has come full circle with this podcast. I mean, it's crazy. I've been following the life and career of designer Tracy Reese for most of my life. And there were so few black designers who were respected and revered in the industry like she was. I mean, Tracy Reese was one of the first black designers I knew of who were thriving with a large scale, multifaceted business model. It was essentially a lifestyle brand carried by some of the top stores in the nation. You may have seen one of her dresses on First Lady Michelle Obama or on celebrities like Sarah Jessica Parker, Tracy Ellis Ross, and Oprah Winfrey, to name a few. I had the honor and opportunity to interview Tracy. I mean, I know, right? Literally a dream come true. I'm pinching myself. I can't believe it happened. So I talked about her life in Detroit, her ascension as a designer, and making the pivot into sustainable fashion. Check it out. Thank you so much for coming on a fashion moment. This is, I mean, you're just always such a delight and obviously a fashion legend. So it's a pleasure to chat with you about your journey. How are you feeling right now? I know you have a lot going on. Yeah, we do have a lot going on. It's, but it's good. You know, the more you do, the more you want to do. 
The true. less you do, the less you want to do. Uh, so. Yes, and your collections have been great. And I get so angry when things fly out the door and I'm like, oh my God, is that top going to come back? Or is that skirt going to come back? So you keep us on our feet with the collections. I hope so. Yes. Yes. Well, you've had such a long and just amazing career in the fashion industry, which is, is a rarity. You know, not everyone has the amazing longevity and success that you have. And it's been a journey, I'm sure. (laughs) So we're going to try to get this all in because your story, I mean, I could go on for hours of questions, but I always love to start at the very beginning. So what was life like in Detroit, I feel like there's so many fashion people from Detroit. And I say this all the time, like Veronica Webb, she's like, girl, well, you know, Motown, like, you know, it was the spot. <laughs> so like, what was your experience like growing up in Detroit? Well, you know, I had a great childhood in Detroit and, you know, I think unless you're here, I think people don't appreciate, you know, all the city has to offer and all the pluses, but we, we had a great childhood and my mom, my mom was a native Detroiter. My dad was from Alabama. Wow. And, um, my, my mom was raised a certain way. You know, my grandmother, um, was really supportive of the arts and performing arts. And so my mom was actually a dancer. She was a modern dancer. And I have one uncle who was a trumpet player, another who was an actor and became a, like a production stage manager on Broadway. Wow. And my other aunt uh, was dance professor here at Wayne State University. So, you know, they all ended up in performing arts. Wow. And um, my grandma used to take us to to plays and to musicals and you know my mom always made sure that we enjoyed all the cultural activities that were available for children here so we'd go to you know dance concerts for young people and you know art classes always on Saturdays and we had piano lessons you know we were three girls. I have an older sister, Leslie, and a younger sister, Erin. So we were the Reese girls and we were all over town. Yes. Um, is that like a children's book series that's going to come out? <laughs> right? Just putting it out the there. Reese girls. <laughs> Watch out, American girl. You might have a new series. Just saying. Just saying. Oh my God. So like, I mean, I feel like those cookouts and just family gatherings must have just been so much fun and like that was so fun. And I, you know, cousins here and aunts and uncles, and so all of that was was really great, you know. And cousins my age, which you know, that's a gift. Yeah, you know, and you know, I was lucky to have sisters. I have you know a lot of friends who were onlys, and they didn't have that, you know the benefit of having sisters close in age or brothers and also, you know, cousins that you're like growing up with and, you know, everybody, everybody has permission to spank you if you're bad. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Well, your mom, wasn't it your mom who, who taught you how to like sew and create garments? My mom was a big home sewer. She was a big home sewer and she sewed for herself always because she had a super curvy figure, you know, Mm. like curvy, curvy hips, little waist. 
And um, she sewed for us, for me and my sisters. Wow. And I would, you know, we'd go to the fabric stores with her and she'd pick out fabrics for us. And, you know, she'd ask us what we liked, what was our favorite color. You know, we'd get to pick a patch that could get sewn on to something and we'd go wow. through the pattern books. And, and you know, somehow the sewing and the drawing came together. But I think when I was about eight years old, she started teaching me how to sew. Wow. And when I was 10... I bought her old Kenmore machine from her for $10. And that's how she operated. It was just like, you need to earn the things that you want, you know? So she said, you know, you can buy my machine from me for $10. And I remember looking at her like, why do I have to buy it? Like, really, mom? But it was mine. And I did chores. You know, she gave me a list of chores I could do to earn $10. And it was, that was my machine, you know? Oh my goodness. So you were checking off the list. Like I got, okay, I got $2 now. Like (laughs) mapping it out. (laughs) Yeah. All I have to do is scrub those baseboards with a toothbrush and I will have my machine. (laughs) Y'all do not miss the baseboards. My grandma had us doing that and my mom as well. Like we washed walls, baseboards, like it just had to happen. Right, right. It. Take the, the glass cups <laughs> off the chandeliers and wash oh. like all the fun stuff. Yes. That was the same list of chores I got to do if I missed the school bus for middle oh. school. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Man. I'm not driving you to school. You can stay home and do this list of work. No. <laughs> I don't think I missed that bus once. That was that. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So you learn how to sew. Like were were there any sort of like muses for you growing up where you're just like, oh my God, I love the way that person dresses, or like just some of your like go-to, like, oh, they're so glamorous. I love it. Really? Actually, that was my mom and my grandmother. My grandmother, you know, we used to think maybe she was a movie star because (gasps) For a while, my dad's job was transferred to Indianapolis. I was in uh, nursery school because I went to nursery school in Indianapolis and my younger sister was born there. But um, she would send us little uh, photographs of herself, little Kodak, you know, those little square pictures. Yes! And she would always be posing like, you know, something like this. <laughs> and either she's wearing a leopard suit or she'd be wearing a black suit and the handbag and the little black heels or a white suit. And my grandmother was a professional woman. She she was uh, she worked for the city first for wow. Richard Austin when he was I forget what his title was here in the city, but then he became secretary of state. First Black Secretary of State of of Michigan. And so she moved to Lansing to be his his secretary. And she worked for him for probably 20 years, you know. So she was a professional woman and she used to take this actually to to conventions for the, you know, it was the National Association of, of for, for Black Women in Business or something like that, you know. Wow. So oh. she used to take us on those trips. We'd all get on the Greyhound. Oh. But um, anyway, but she, for us, she was a really glamorous symbol, you know, and I, I thought she was a movie star. You know, when you're little and you just, you have no idea, four years old looking at, you know, some glamorous photographs. Beautiful. But, you know, they, they were from an era when people dressed, you yes. know, you dressed to go to work, you dressed 
to go to dinner, you dressed to go to a concert, you dressed to go to church. And um, she was always immaculately put together, you know, wow. and if she was buying something for herself and we were with her that, you know, she would take us shopping. She used to <gasps> shop at Crowley's, which was That's Crowley's department store here in Detroit. That was her favorite, you know, and she'd be, I remember one time we were with her and she bought this slate blue leather coat with a fox collar. We were yes. like, stop, stop, stop. I just love that coat. That is like, so now, oh my God. <laughs> well, it's not now since we're not doing fur, but. Yes, yes, faux. It's it's faux, faux, faux. But oh my god, yeah, love that. But love those that. were my fashion icons, and my mom. You know, there was a period when my dad, you know, he was advancing up through the ranks at Chrysler, and you know, he became an executive, and they had to do a lot, go to a lot of functions, you know. And my mother would make a dress for every single function. You know, <laughs> she would be sewing away and. Yes. My dad would come to work from work and the dress wouldn't be finished yet, you know, and she would rush upstairs and take oh, a quick uh, shower while I did the hymns. And that's uh, how, you know, things got started. I would do the hymns while she was doing her hair and makeup. And then I would have to sneak the dress upstairs because he would wow. be standing around like, we're late. We're late. How come you're not go. ready? <laughs> gotta go. Wow. So you, you had that down at a very early age, like, yep. oh, we got to get this dress done. Exactly. And at the time it was like Stephen Burroughs Jersey wow. dresses, yes. you know, with that zigzag stitch finishing and I could do zigzag, you know, I, that, I mean, the zigzag was on the machine, but it was Impressive, actually easier though. to yeah. do the zigzag him than a regular him because wow. it, it covered up a, a few sins, I'm sure. Huh. But, yeah, that's that's how all of that got started. That's amazing. And it just seems so magical. And by the way, I may steal that like for my kids, like giving them little pictures of me, like in the little the, the nieces and nephews. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, we have to remember to print <laughs> pictures now because we're living yeah. in this digital world and I've got like 5,000 images on my camera, right? Yeah. And then same something here. happens to that. And where did all my memories go? Wow. Wow. It's that's amazing. So you learn how to sew. You have this amazing life in Detroit. What led you to go to Parsons? Like, how did that happen? How did, like, were you just like, you know what? I'm going to go to school for this. Like, what was your family? Like, yeah, like we support you. So great. Like, yes. It was interesting. It, it you know, I had no idea Parsons existed. I had um, mm, wow. a teacher. I went to a high school that had curriculums. It was all city school. You had to test in. And I was in science and arts, which was like an AP curriculum. But in our curriculum, we could take electives from any other curriculum in the school. And our school had everything from Kim Bio for anybody who wanted to go into medicine, pre-med. They had air conditioning and refrigeration. They had performing arts, music, you know, you name it, you, you could pick. And there was a big art department. And as part of the art department, there was a fashion curriculum. Wow. Right. I know. And so the head of the art department, Irving Berg, he knew my mom from when my mom was in high school. And whenever, you know, when I was a freshman, she, you know, was there for parent teacher conferences and we passed him in the hall and he was like, 
Pat Reese, we've got to get your daughter into the art curriculum, you know? And so, and I was, I was, I was all for it, you know? So I took all my electives in art and I think I probably took my first fashion class in the 10th grade, maybe. And there was an amazing um, uh, director for the uh, fashion curriculum. Her name was Dr. Cleedy Taylor. Mm. And she's an art collector here in Detroit. She's still with us. She's in her 90s. Wow. And she ran the the Children's Museum uh, as well. So she, you know, has had quite the career. And... um, she said to me, you know, she said, you might want to consider uh, going to Parsons School of Design in New York uh, for college. I think you've got what it takes. And I was like, what's Parsons, you know? And um, I applied actually for a summer program wow. uh, for in my junior year of high school. So between junior and senior year, I went to New York for the summer program. And that's when I learned really about the industry because, mm. you know, I think people outside of the industry fashion is like i thought it was a hobby you know yeah. i like to sew yeah. i like to sketch i like to paint like whatever i thought it was all a hobby i didn't realize it was business that it was mm-hmm. industry you know and i thought for a career i wanted to do something creative but i also thought it had to be you know serious and highly technical yeah. so i thought maybe i'll go after architecture or oh you know, or maybe even interior design, even though that didn't seem serious, but you know, yeah. but when I, you know, learned more and more about the industry, I was like, Hey, wait a minute. This is, this is a business, you know, as well as a creative pursuit. And that made it so much more interesting to me. And, you know, the more my, my mom read about Parsons, you know, cause they were like, okay, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) if I'd been, if I'd been a boy, I don't think they, they would have, really been especially my dad he would not have been you know behind me going to Parsons mm-hmm. but I had a full scholarship wow and this is, I tell people this all the time I, I got a scholarship to that summer program and then I got a full scholarship uh for college wow. and it was a merit scholarship and not only did I have the full scholarship they passed me out of the freshman year I started sophomore year what um straight out of high school. I was 17 in New York in my sophomore year of college. And that all, all of that on the strength of my Detroit public schools portfolio, wow. you know? So when we look at the state of, of, of all of the fun classes, you know, that have been ripped out of schools due to financial reasons, right? Yeah. Once Detroit fell into bankruptcy, you know, and the, the budgets for everything, you know, were cut, the arts were the, the first things to go, you know. Yeah. So a lot of schools didn't even have an art teacher or a music teacher. I mean, we had music classes all the way through school. I was in wow. choir, I was, you know, and to think that kids you know don't have those opportunities now is like so painful and um you know they're trying to restore the arts now they they're they're really pushing hard to recruit um art teachers and music teachers for detroit public schools and you know obviously last year was just kind of a wash yeah Um, so that kind of slowed um that the restoration of of some of these arts programs but 
there's still so much less than there was when I was in school. Wow. It's like they saw the talent in you. Like you just had it. And, and amazing teachers. And oftentimes that's, you know, that's where it begins. You know, a teacher sees something in you. I mean, my parents were always incredibly supportive. And like I said, I had, I had classes every Saturday. We were, we were busy. It was like, get up, get your chores done. And then you're, you're out of the house. You know, I had, I remember one summer I had, I had to get up and do my chores. I have breakfast and I would ride my bike up to Palmer park and tennis lessons. This was chubby summer between between <laughs> middle school and high school. I think so or maybe it was cute. between elementary school and middle school. I don't know. I, I had picked up some weight and my mom was concerned. So I had <laughs> tennis lessons in the morning. Then I would ride my bike home and have lunch. Then I'd ride my bike up to uh, Ferndale high. Oh, for swimming. On the bike. <laughs> Right. So then I had swimming in the afternoon. Then I'd ride my bike home. <laughs> and, you know, oh she, I, and then after a month of that, I went to camp for a couple of weeks. So by the time I started school in the fall, I was three inches taller and 15 pounds lighter. Wild. <laughs> but, you know, but we were busy, you know, and I think that's the key too. But we were also out and about, you know, yeah. and we had a certain amount of independence and I wasn't afraid to go to New York. I had um, my uncle, Jerry, who was the stage manager. He lived there full time. And my uncle Stanley, who was a music teacher at the time, was living in um, East Orange, New Jersey. So they were both really close, you know, oh, wonderful. Yeah. that made it so much easier for me um, in college because there were a lot of privileged kids uh, going to Parsons, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and we weren't wealthy. We were, we were comfortable. You know, my dad yeah. provided a really good um, lifestyle for us, but it wasn't about waste and about a bunch of extra stuff. And literally my mom and dad, you know, I, I wrote a budget for my expenses in college, you know, wow. it was like, okay, this is how much I need a week for, for food. This is how much I need for supplies, blah, 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 blah. And I remember I had my, my lunch budget was $2 and 25 cents when I was in Parsons. Amazing. And I knew everywhere I could have lunch, I could get, you know, a cheeseburger and fries and a coffee from McDonald's for two twenty-five. right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I could get an egg roll and a wonton soup from the Chinese place. Amazing. I could get a bagel and a chicken soup from the deli. I had my whole list down. Wow. No, it's, it's, I mean, it's necessary, especially in New York. Like, what was that experience like at Parsons? Like you're in this new, you're in this new city. I mean, you have support, but even New York at that time, right. For someone who's 17, right. And that it was that contrast too. It was you know? exciting because you got to throw yourself into what you love doing, like, you know, and the curriculum was very challenging. We had mm. so much homework. We had to carry 20, 20 credits a semester. Wow. And all of our classes were like all day classes, you know, wow. and we had to pick up a couple of evening courses, you know, to complete the degree. But, you know, the, Soft, uh, well, first year orientation, they called everybody into sections and I was sitting in the auditorium. They didn't call, they hadn't called my name. And I looked around, there's one other person whose name they had not called. And that was Mark Jacobs. And we sort of uh. looked at each other like, what, 
what happened, you know? So same thing. He got passed out of first year. So the two wow, of us no were, way. We got passed out of what they call a foundation year. So the two of us were starting the sophomore program. Wow. And so that kind of cemented a friendship, but we, you know, we loved it. I mean, I remember we had a stern talking to, you know, the first week of school by the department <laughs> head. Her name was Ann Kagey. And she said, you know, if you don't live, sleep, eat and drink fashion, then this is not the place for you. <laughs> you know, and it. young ladies should wear hose and blah, blah. And then, you know, all of the rules came down. So wow. it, was, it was a very interesting, you know, but it was like, they, they they weren't telling us anything that, that frightened us mm-hmm. at all. You know, we were all in. I love it. I, that is amazing. So like you go to Parsons, you know, I'm curious, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, especially with technology now, like is fashion school necessary? Like, do I need to like, you know, refine my craft? Like what what would you say was one of the most significant um, lessons that helped you, like, like how, how was Parsons helpful for you as a designer and is it necessary now for designers or, or folks who want to become designers to take a course or go to school for design? I'm just, I'm just asking. I think it's, I think it's absolutely necessary, but it, but it depends on the quality of the education that Mm. you, you know, you can access Yeah, because a lot of schools have created fashion programs that aren't great programs. And I always like hurts my feelings when, you know, I meet young people who are in, you know, kind of substandard programs. So it depends, you know, you've got to find the best quality education Mm. you can afford and you can access. Um, But, you know, everything cannot be done digitally. And I I feel that a good designer um, has to know everything about their craft. So that means you, you have to learn about textiles. You have to learn about construction. You have to learn about finishing. You have to learn about fashion history. You have to, I mean, the list goes on and on. You have to, you, there, there's so much that um, you can't just learn digitally. It's a very yeah. tactile industry. Um, it's very trial and error based. Um, you should know how to sew. I mean, luckily I knew how to sew, but Parsons took that to another level as well, wow. you know? So that understanding of construction um is imperative and, and, and really understanding, you know, what looks good on the body, how to create the effects that you want. Otherwise you're the kind of designer who has to rely on everyone else to realize Mm. their vision, you know, and you should be instructing others in how to create your vision, you know, so you don't want to be the one who knows the least technically. Mm about what it is that you want. And I think that word designer is so loosely and freely used. It's like sustainability, you know, it's like everybody's a designer. Any celebrity who gets offered the opportunity to put their name on a brand, all of a sudden they designed it. It's like they didn't design it. That's not what they're trained to do. They're trained to be an amazing singer or an amazing actor, but they're not trained in design. There's a whole team of people that are being offered to them 
to do the work, you wow. know, and then they have wow. an amazing stylist who is sort of putting the pieces together for them. But they, hmm. they, you shouldn't use that that term so easily. I mean, designers by definition were problem solvers, you know. Wow. So of course, you know, we all are creators, and 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 you know, you want to be creative. But the, the job is to solve problems. Yeah, and and the body. I mean, just knowing how to construct a garment on the body. I I mean, right. it's it's it's. It's like magic. <laughs> it's right, really, right, right. It's really hard. Well, it is hard. And to learn how to do it properly, you know, you don't even learn all of that in school. A lot of that you learn, you know, throughout the course of your career with other people and technicians that you interact with. So it's I, I, I hate to to see the term used very loosely and yeah. the term designer applied to anyone whose name is on a label. So true. It's like creative director. We'll 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 use that instead. (laughs) So you go to Parsons, and then I mean, you were interning, working with like some of the top brands. I mean, you were at Perry Ellis at one point. Yeah, and that's thanks to Mark too, because I had you know I'd worked for a few years at a small contemporary brand called Arlequin, which was owned by a Frenchman and uh, also by Ricky Sasaki, who is like a, a, you know, wheeler dealer from Hong Kong. And well, actually he was Japanese, but his business was called World Hong Kong. But um, I cut my chops there, you know, cut my wow. teeth there. And the designer for that brand was Martin Sibon, who, you know, hopefully a lot of people recognize as amazing French designer. Um, and she taught me so much about the work and, and mm. you know, the actual work. Because as great as my education was, the actual day-to-day work was, like, completely different in so many ways, you know. And the, the sketching in the portfolio got me the job. But then the actual work was, you know, much more technical. Um, but, you know, I started my own label when I was 24. And my dad, my, it was my dad's idea, you know, bless his heart, Claude Reese. He was like, like, my baby girl is gonna. He was like, he just literally <laughs> said to me one day, he was like, you need to do your own thing. And I was like, that's I right. That's right. And he, he financed it. And wow. I, um, I wrote a business plan and I went down to the small business development center at Pace University and they helped me write this business plan, you know, and guided me through creating the financials and answering all the questions that needed to be answered. And I presented that to my dad and and to a few other family members. And I also took it to the urban development corporation and I got a a small loan for, for women of color in business. Right. Wow. And that's how we, we financed the first, um, the first couple of collections, but the market crashed in the late eighties and yeah. at the point where I should have been getting bigger financing or, mm. you know, joining, you know, the umbrella of, of brands for, you know, another company, just that, that jump off point, um, the market crashed and everything just dried up and everybody, we were all struggling and, you know, 
so many of my friends had started businesses. That was just the spirit of the times, you wow. know. And Mark Jacobs was uh, interviewing for the job of Perry Ellis. And he was like, you know, I've got to put on this last show. And, you know, he had all of these big uh, plans for this runway show. It was like Miami inspired. And it was like a huge undertaking. And I had just closed my business and I was like, I can, I can help, you know? So I would just go over there and sew buttons on jackets oh, and, so fun. You know, hey and stuff like that. And then we would go out to dinner. He would take me out to dinner every night on his credit card. And we would kind of look at each other like, uh, I don't know how we're going to, how, how you're going to pay that credit card bill, but we're having fun tonight. So and whatever happens tomorrow happens, but you know, he knew if the show was amazing, he was he would get that job at Perry Ellis. Wow. And the show was amazing. And he got the job at Perry Ellis. And he invited me to come and design the portfolio collection. And he brought in Tom Ford to design uh, Perry Ellis America. So we were all there um, in this, you know, brand that, you know, had a, a legacy and a heritage. Um, and... Mark was turning it on its ear, you know, and the fact that he brought in a black woman was, Mm -hmm. was well noted as well, because there was no one, you know, and it was, it was very interesting, but um, that's where I also had the opportunity to design shoes for the first time, which was, that was, I just absolutely, I've always loved designing shoes. So that was a really great opportunity. Oh, we need some shoes, Tracy. Let, we got to put uh, that on the list. Shoes yes. You know, you know <laughs> fast forward to next spring, um, Hope for Flowers, we're doing a sustainable collaboration with Naturalizer. So Amazing. we have a whole shoe capsule launching. In fact, this inspiration board behind me is was was from the shoe development. So there's some I'm fantastic excited. styles coming. Yeah. So you can buy them at um, Anthropology wow. and at uh, Naturalizer. So I'm excited. Yep. So you're always so coming cute. out. Always they are coming so out cute. something. They are comfortable and and really, really cute. I'm so excited for them. Oh my God. I'm dying because, you know, I love, I love a naturalizer because they are comfortable because I have really bad ankles. Right. And so I'm like, ah, but I don't want, I don't want to look too frumpy. So I'm really excited about this situation. We we went for it and they were like so great to work with. And, you know, they let me kind of do whatever I wanted to do. So it's colorful very feminine yeah. but it's also super comfortable because I was I told them look I'm I don't I don't wear anything much over every now and then I might go as high as two inches but mm-hmm. I'm like I'm all about a sports sandal these days yes so. <laughs> same here it's either that or a combat boot for me like I'm right? just one or the other I was like I'll <laughs> play with that last and those flats and that sports sandal and that yeah. you know so that's, you know, that was the basis of it. But it's like, how do we take that and make it really feminine and make it beautiful and fun and unique? So I love it. You know, there's some fun stuff coming. I'm so excited. So let me, let me like go back. So, so you're, you're working at Perry Ellis, like you were focused on, was it the women's, the women's wear? women's portfolio? Okay. And so it was their bridge collection, which okay. bridge, that term has gone, but you know, I know. what we, we would call, what do we, what do they call bridge now? Anyway, I, I, guess I have no idea. Office. It's a contemporary. <laughs> I'm still in the 
bridge, like in the bridge era. Like that's, right? that's what I think automatically. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Right. So you, you do that, but, but what led you to just step away and do your own thing? Well, I think that was in 96. I was, I was hopeful of mm. doing my own thing. And although it was, it was nice earning a salary and having, you know, health insurance and all those yes. good things. Um, but <laughs> I took a job. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, you know, Perials was challenging and it was a challenging time for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, cause Mark really wanted to refresh and, and reset the vision and, you know, some people were really resistant to that yeah. within the brand and, you know, it was run in an interesting way. I mean, they would, you know, they would produce the collection so earlier, plan production, and they would plan it, you know, with off-price buys in the in the buy plan. It's just like, isn't that uh, supposed yeah. to be for leftovers? Why are you, you know, it was just yeah. weird. And, and, yeah. and a lot of large companies are run that way, you know, but it was, it was uh, my large company experience. And what I learned from it was that I'm not a large company person. Well, I mean, too many cooks in the kitchen. You know what I mean? It's hard to see a vision through to the finish line when everybody has to wait. You know, so many people have to weigh in on it for so many reasons. And so then what ends up facing the consumer is like watered down and, and it's not, it doesn't have heart anymore. So we're going to, we're going to get into that in part two, because so you step away and you're like, I'm going to start my own line. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do this. So what, like how, like, what was the first step? I literally, you know, actually I worked for another bridge company and they put my name on the label, which was good. Oh, wow. And I started having runway shows. So that increased my you know brand recognition yeah and then when i left that company i decided to start out on my own again and i started exclusively in dresses and this was the late 90s and dresses were just on fire it was like Mm. the you know the most like happening department in every store you know and we quickly you know picked up steam we were selling sacks and nordstrom and and barney's and you know, we had a lot of great specialty stores because I had, you know, great reps. And, you know, then we started slowly layering in, you know, the sportswear. And I met my former business partners who were Indian and um, they suggested that I, I go to India and see, you know, what the country had to offer, basically. Wow. Um, and I'd never been to India. I'd never even considered going, although I was super curious. And so I took my first trip. And it's like, if you've ever been, India is mind-blowing. I mean, the creativity there is just off the chain. Every wow. community has their own craft and their own expression, you know. Yeah. So the textiles, first of all, the colors. I imagine. I mean, you're just I'd I'd be in the car on the way to the factory or someplace and I'm like my head is like hanging out the window oh. just looking at the people on the street, the saris. Wow. The, I mean just and if you're ever there during wedding season, which is December, just I'd I'd stay in this lovely hotel and their hotels they're five four stars here 
but we're basically what is considered a four star there i would say is a five star you know it's like 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 very opulent hotels and the weddings the the guests at the weddings would be wearing the most amazing saris like just opulent textiles beautiful beading color the the jacquards the Ah, i mean i love a jacquard embroidery i mean and i was like oh my god of course i can do something here you know and they were we just you know we would travel throughout india and meeting these amazing craftspeople and artisans wow. and you know i worked with a, a wonderful pattern maker there kutan master my friend and he would just drape stuff you know for me i would like do the sketching and he would you know whip it up and you know i i i be able to go into the the room where they were doing the hand embroideries and the beading oh and my just God. watch it all happen and so that was just like a creative explosion wow. you know so we started a second collection called plenty which was all made in india and then i was able to layer on more embellishments to tracy reese and those pieces were were made in india so wow. that was the foundation for for the company you know and we had a good 20 what 20 23 year run Tracy we no I gotta ask the question on behalf of the designers out there what is the key to finding a good rep so mm. many people have like design they're like where can I you know or showroom like like who can sell like who's gonna you know go it's hard with the trust buyer? me <laughs> trust me I I've, I've lucked out throughout my career because when I launched my first brand my former boss mm-hmm. um, was married to one of the best reps wow. in contemporary in the you know in the contemporary market, and she probably twisted his arm to take my line, you know. <laughs> I and it. I, you know, he was very well connected with Barney's, Burgers, and all the best stores, and so yeah. we had great placement out of the gate. Mm-hmm. They trusted him, so then they trusted me. Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, really fortunate when I launched the second time, I, I had to actually, no, I had another good rep. I was a PhD, mm-hmm. uh, which, mm-hmm. um, they did a good job for me. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, it's not easy. You, you have to be very present. You have to be very available. You have to be involved. Um, but they were also, you know, really well-known showroom. And then I moved to the white room with mm-hmm. Amanda and we decided to, to have plenty with one rep and, and Tracy Reese with another. So mm-hmm. plenty was with Therese Feltis and they both, you know, they were, they were amazing reps, but it's not easy to find a good rep. And, yeah. you know, it's funny, I'm on my way to LA next week for LA market and, my Los Angeles rep from Tracy Reese is like, you can come in and show the line out of my showroom. And, you know, I, I always tell the story because when I flew out to LA back in the nineties to, to get a uh, Tracy Reese and plenty placed, I was politely turned away from several showrooms. And I think mm-hmm. that they kind of looked at this black woman and were like, not confident that I could deliver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to take me on, or maybe they just, you know, they, they complimented the clothes, but maybe they were just being nice. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And Terry, um, you know, we just, we hit it off immediately and she was like, let's do this. 
you know, and she built an incredible business for us out of LA as well. So, you know, sometimes, you know, you do, you do get, you know, get uh, a little luck. Sometimes, and sometimes you get dismissed, you know. And sometimes you <laughs> get dismissed. Can I just say thank you for, for continuing to, to try and paving the path forward? I know, I'm sure in the moment you're like, oh, you know, I just, I got to make it happen. But, you know, yeah. there's so many people who are just like, I don't know, like, you know, this industry, it's like you just got to yeah. keep. But you also have to show and, you know, you have to show what you can do and you have Mm. to, you know how it is. If, if you're not doing anything, then nothing happens for you. Yeah. If you're doing something, then, then you, you know, when it rains, it pours basically. And when people see you pushing and trying to thrive on your own and, you know, you start to meet with some success. They want to be a yeah. part of that, you know, but yes. if you're waiting for a leg up or for someone to create an opportunity for you nine times out of 10, that's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, people always want to want to get on board with something that's gathering steam or if they see you, you know, really working to make it happen yourself, then they'll, they'll help. you know, or they'll make suggestions or they'll, they'll give you recommendations or make a call for you. But if you're just sitting, waiting for all that to happen, Mm. then everyone feels reluctant. I know I feel reluctant, you know, everybody wants mentorship, but I want to see what you're doing for yourself first, Mm. you know, and then let, then I'll try to carve out some time for you. But if you're just waiting for someone to show you everything, yeah, that's draining. That is so draining. It's like I work really hard to 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 get where I am, to learn what I've learned, mm. and it's not that that information is all proprietary. But you're going to have to work hard too, yeah. and I, I can't just tell you how to get to point Z. You need to you need to walk the path. You yes. know, you need to find some things out for yourself. And on top of it, it's a different world than the world that I came up in you know, in terms of my career, there are different pathways. Now there are people who are achieving things a different way. I mean, look at like somebody like Finuel, you know, she started her business, you know, like just totally grassroots building community of people who admired what she did and, and, and loved, you know, what she was creating. And she built a really strong, you know, community and business without going the traditional route, you know? And so her, her organic business is, is, is very strong, you know, and the people who love her and her work, they want to buy it from her. They don't want Mm -hmm. to buy it from another retailer, to be honest. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I know there were some capsule collections, but I was like, it's yeah, not, and it's good to get okay, it out there, but you know. <laughs> but she, you know, she 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 took her own route, you know. Yes. So just because I did something a certain way, that worked at that time. But yeah. it's a, it's a new world. It's a different it really world. Is. And so you know, it's open to uh, your own creativity and your own ideas about how you want to manifest your vision. You know, I have to ask, when you first started your line, what was one of the 
biggest like rookie mistakes <laughs> that you made when you were first starting out? <laughs> mm, so many. Which one? <laughs> like, like one that where you were like, you know what? I'm really never gonna forget nor let that happen again. <laughs> you know, I think being really focused on quality, you know, hmm. we were so busy. Um, be, uh, and I should say not being focused enough on quality. Mm-hmm. We were so busy trying to meet demand that, you know, when we would have problems with quality, um, I was like, Oh, and, and, you know, luckily people were loving the brand so much that we got away with a lot more than we should have. Mm-hmm. And it took years for us to really get a grip on quality control, mm. you know, and I think the other mistake that, you know, it's easy to make because, you know, uh, it's financial is, you know, having enough good people to make sure that the work is being done well. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you know, it's easy to, all of us are like, okay, but do I, can I afford to pay yeah. someone to get yeah. this done? You know, it's really hard. Sometimes it's a chicken and the egg situation, but you can't do it all yourself. You don't have the time and you don't have the expertise. So finding ways to collaborate with others to get things done is is imperative because you can't do it all well yourself. And you're yeah. definitely not going to be able to grow to the point of, of um, uh, prosperity or, you know, uh, all alone. Yeah, You know, so I think, you know, you have to spend money to make money. And I think starting out underfinanced, you're, you're always kind of hoping and waiting for a miracle, you know, and that's a really, really, really stressful way to live. Absolutely. I mean, just the, the demands from the buyers, the industry, like before pre pandemic, it just seemed like things were moving so quickly for designers and they were just trying to keep up. So I can't imagine like having like multiple brands and licenses. Right. And be like, how, like how does that even happen? It happens like working 60 hours a week, really. Oh and driving goodness. your team to the brink every season. <sighs> That's basically how that happens. Unless, you know, Unless, and it's funny, and I think this is another thing that most designers or, or, you know, people coming into the business don't realize. Once you achieve a certain scale, you are really becoming a manager and you're much more of a business person and and you're managing, you know, teams. Mm. And for those of us who got into the business for mainly creative reasons, the idea of spending, you know, the majority of your time managing others mm-hmm. is it's 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 kind of shocking to get to that place and you're like wait a minute but I wanted to be doing you know the yeah. fun stuff you know yeah. so I think that that you know that was that's a tough real, you know uh, realization wow that. absolutely so you you grow your business it's doing really well what led you to the decision to like walk away and rebrand 
<laughs> lots of things. I think the universe pointed me to it. I mean, wow. we had a good business, but it was contracting. It was getting smaller. And for a multitude of reasons, you know, one, we were a 20 plus year old brand and there's always someone new on the block who, yeah, you I know, know. <laughs> is, is, is more exciting and more, more, you know, more of the moment. So that's natural, but we still had a lot of great retail partnerships. So mm-hmm. it was still a substantial business, but I was learning more about fashion's footprint, you know, and learning more about, you know, how we're, you know, <laughs> really making a mess of the world. Yeah, in, in so many planet, ways, basically. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, textile production is... Yeah is very um, destructive. And then we're also exploiting labor uh, to, yes. to bring products in less and less expensively. And that, you know, everybody was, you know, ended up sort of competing with fast fashion. And that's mm-hmm. like, that's, that's a race to the bottom, you know, yeah. because how can you compete with those prices? But what yeah. happened, a lot of the department stores started bringing some, you know, fast fashion partners in-house. And then, you know, your product all of a sudden is twice as expensive as theirs. And your buyer is asking you to try to meet these prices. And it's like, that's not possible. You know, we can't do that without really wreaking havoc on our supply chain. And then really not having respect for the products that we would be creating, you know, to try to compete with fast fashion. So that was all really uh, depressing and distasteful. And I was like, I don't want to do this. You know, if this is where things are going and I don't want to be, you know, a part of that because Mm. that's exactly the opposite of what we should be doing. Absolutely. So me and my partners decided to part ways and um, I went through a, a course actually at CFDA. It was sponsored by Lexus, the CFDA Amazing. Lexus Fashion Initiative. It's all about working more sustainably, designing responsibly. So it was a crash course in sustainable textiles and production and, and you know, a bigger education about, you know, our, 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 our responsibility to, mm-hmm. to the planet. And I was like, you know what, if I'm going to stay in this industry, I know I'm intelligent enough to do it better, you know, to, I can be resourceful. I can, I can, you know, I can keep learning. And I think mm. at a certain stage in your career, that, to have that opportunity is like a gift. It's like, cause you've been doing things a certain way for a really long time mm-hmm. and to be able to approach it, um, anew with fresh eyes and, uh, you know, to be able to learn how to do your work differently and to approach it from a different angle. Um, I was so excited by that challenge you know, and I also wanted a smaller business, you know, I want to be profitable. I want to, you know, be able to, um, support myself. I want to be able to pay my team, you know, their, their value. Um, but I don't want to be everywhere. I don't Mm -hmm. want to, you know, have a behemoth kind of brand. And I bought a house here in Detroit and I was, you know, trying to come back and, you know, 
enjoy yeah. my house as often as possible. And I was like, how come, you know, there's no reason why I can't do this here. You know, yeah. the world has gone digital and it's, you know, totally possible for me to do at least a percentage of my work from Detroit. Mm -hmm. And the more I thought about it and was, you know, writing another business plan and sort of laying out the structure. And I was like, I can have my, my design studio here. I can have my, the back end of my business here. There's no reason why I can't um, hire Detroiters to do this work and train people to work alongside me to create, you know, this collection. So that's what I embarked upon and that's what we're, we're, we're doing. Such a creative business person, I tell you. So like, what is your, I'm just curious, what's your creative process? I see, I see the, the collage behind you. Like, like, do you go for walks? Do you have a journal? Like, do you like pull swatches? Like, is it a mix? Like what do you have dreams? (laughs) Um, a little bit of everything, you know, and a lot, it used to always start with textiles. I would go to the big textile fairs. I would go to Premier Vision in Paris. Mm. And like, there's just like one new innovation after another and all these amazing textiles. But now I know that like 80% of those are harmful to the planet in some way. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so much for that, yeah. you know, and they're really pushing and trying to ramp up, you know, support for, what they call smart textiles, which are mm, you know, uh-huh. textiles that are more sustainable. Um, but it's still, it's like, it's the, the proportion of smart textiles to others is still quite small, maybe about 5%. So wow. like it, that's a little bit challenging. So, you know, identifying what those textiles are, you know, they're, they're linen based or it's tinsel mm-hmm. or, it's yes. cupro, or it's, you know, there's a short list, you know, and then yeah. there's the whole argument for or against organic co- cotton. Exactly. You know. Yes. Oh my goodness. So, you know, but it's it's a short list of of textiles because I'm not really um wanting to use polyesters and the things that are just gonna, you know, exist on this planet for centuries. Yeah. They don't biodegrade. It's period. Wild. You know, so it's like, okay, how do we avoid that? Even if it's recycled, you know, I mean, there's value in that, but even that process is, um, you know, chemical heavy. So Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, so now where do I start? You know, so it it does start with color. Um, Mm -hmm. Color is hugely inspiring to me. And usually, you know, I'll, I'll get a sense of a palette that I want to build through, you know, kind of experiencing culture. You know, yeah. I, I was saying to, we're having a, a zoom uh, <laughs> appointment with Zach after yesterday. And I was like, you know, actually the inspiration for spring 2022 was my first trip back to New York. Wow. First week of March. I went to the Alice Neal exhibit at the Met. <sighs> I went to the grief and grievance exhibit at the new museum i went to see julie moretu and dawood bay at the whitney i went you know i was i was everywhere i love it and i was in the galleries and taking pictures and just soaking it up and you know the colors and and the patterns i saw in some of this incredible work inspired um the, the collection so wow. you know that's sort of like you know you build a, a board that inspires you and you know you're looking at vintage clothes you're gathering up all kinds of inspiration and 
then you start sketching. Amazing. Amazing. So how would you, well, first of all, how did you decide on the name Hope for Flowers? Hope for Flowers. Um, it took me a good year to come up with that name. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really, I wanted the name to express, you know, my mission, which, you know, my hopes for the planet, you know, yeah. I've been, aside from that, I just love flowers, but yes. I also <laughs> feel that, you know, each one of us is, is a flower. There's a seed in each of us that deserves to be nurtured and especially children, you know, yeah. so our broader mission encompasses, you know, young people and making sure, you know, that they have some of the opportunities that I had growing up wow. here in Detroit. So we launched, you know, our art enrichment program uh, last Saturday, actually. So providing free art classes for Detroit public school kids on Saturday. Saturday classes. I you know, love so, it. You know, I just love bringing it. it, bringing it full circle. I love it. We used to go to Home Depot. That was like our art class. <laughs> like but, yeah, all the ideas. But you get, you get plenty of <laughs> ideas at Home Depot. Plenty of ideas to it be had. It was so fun. It was so fun. But this is amazing. So I, you know, I'm also curious. Do you have a favorite flower? Oh wow! You know. So many. I, I keep Casablanca lilies at my house all the time because ah. they smell so good. Um, I've got, you know, I'm trying to garden here. So I've got <laughs> hydrangea and you name yes. it, you know, all across my front yard. So um, I love, I love irises. I love, there's so, I mean, there's, so there's hardly a flower that I don't like. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So peonies, peony season <laughs> is always, a, a you know, I love a good peony. Yes. So how would you describe the Hope for Flowers woman? It's like a very distinct style. <laughs> it, you know, it is. And she's very much still, you know, the Tracy Reese customer in many uh-huh. ways in terms of her aesthetic. You know, she loves color. She loves, um, uh, she loves uh, sharing her femininity. You know, she's yeah. not afraid of that and being feminine doesn't mean that you're not powerful she understands Mm -hmm. that um she wants to be flattered by her clothing but you know i think with hope for flowers she also wants to be a part of doing good while looking good right that's that's what we say and she you know she doesn't need one more thing and if she's making purchases she wants her purchases to mean something I love that so much. And you, I just have to, you're, you're a board member on the CFDA, like, and for yeah, a while, it for, for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, for a while, you were like the only African-American, like, yep, this is CFDA. true. Like, this is how, true. I mean, obviously things have changed and you've seen more members come in, um, what are your thoughts right now just on how, how the fashion world is doing on diversity? Like that, that's Lots major. I mean, you know, we've, there's some progress has been made, but yeah. you know, is it, is it lasting progress? Mm. You know, um, I think, you know, a lot of commitments were made and I think we still want to see those commitments, yeah. uh, fulfilled. Yes. Um, and you know, Black people, we 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 need to have the opportunities to 
uh, be a part of all facets of the business, not just working on the sales floor at a boutique or store chain, but um, we want to be able to rise through the executive ranks. We want to be stakeholders, you know, and we want the opportunities to, to, to build real careers in the industry. So, you know, when you look in the, in the C-suite, there are not that many of us. And, you know, sometimes it's the glass ceiling effect. Sometimes it's, you know, fashion has always been a very exclusive uh, industry, you know, and, you know, some of that is is starting to, to break down because um, it's not modern anymore to, to be one note, to look only one way, yeah. you know? So I'm hopeful, but a lot of work still needs to be done. Well, we are glad you are a part of the CFDA and have been. It's so funny. Like back in the day when I was like a little girl, I was, you know, I'd, I would always do research on anything fashion, anything I could find, like any black people. I'm like, well, have you heard of Tracy Reese? Like, see, there's a black designer who's very successful, like doing amazing things. And they're like, Tracy Reese is black. I'm like, uh, yeah, like this is what I was like a young girl. And, you know, this is before the internet blew up. And so people were just so shocked, like, really? I'm like, yes. So you did such a great, like, you did such a great job of just, like, pushing your business forward. Like, no one really thought, like, oh, Tracy Reese, the Black designer. It was just like, oh, Tracy Reese, like, a Tracy Reese dress, a Tracy Reese, you know, blouse, or, like, I love the aesthetic. And and it, it's interesting. Most people, like, the people, like, for my little town, they had no idea. They had no idea. And for some people, that maybe was not a bad thing. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, 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 trust me, there were some surprise looks. You know, I would right? do. What do you step you in know, and you're like appearances here and there? It's just like, oh, I thought and the code was, oh, I thought you were from LA. Oh my goodness! Oh, like, Lordy, <laughs> I love it. Well, we're we're so like it's just the work over the course of your career, just being there, doing the amazing work that you do, just the representation, the excellence. I shall oh, say, you. is is really impactful. It's made an impact on so many of us, especially Black folks in the industry. So we thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank so you. So I, yeah, I have to give you your flowers while you're here, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Kirsten. <laughs> so I, I have to ask, this is something that we um, ask all of our guests on a fashion moment. What is one of your favorite it just one because I know you have a million one of your favorite fashion moments of all time it could be personal professional something you witness but just like a moment where you get like all tingly and you're just like oh my god this is fashion like this is this is what I love like this is it Wow. It could be mine or anybody else's. Mm-hmm. Like some people give childhood stories like Christina. Christina Nolte gave a great one when she was a little girl. I was like, well, okay, Christina, it was good. So you just, you never know where it's going to come from. <laughs> well, you know, one of my first was, and I didn't even know really what I was stepping into, but 
my mom and I would go to Ebony Fashion Fair when it when it came to Detroit, you know, and it was a huge moment always. We would sew outfits and, you know, to be in the audience watching those amazing shows and then to promenade and in in, during intermission, you know, in, in our looks, you know, I that was that. a fashion moment. Ah, you know, we, we've heard this a, a couple times. I'm like, you know what? They need to bring it back. Marielle Bobo, if you're listening, please bring Ebony Fashion Fair back. Right. I mean, the rest of the country doesn't get to experience shows, yeah. you know, I mean, it's just for the select few, but that show was, was for the people. You know? I love it. I love it. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with us. Um, you're amazing. Can't wait to see all the amazing things you do with Hope for Flowers. I guess I'm just going to have to keep refreshing my my screen so that when the new stuff drops, I can get it before it sells out, you guys. <laughs> and we're dropping <laughs> we're dropping fall as we speak. So oh everybody, please go to hopeforflowers.com and check it out. Ah, got a rush. Got a rush there. So thank you, Tracy. Thank you thank so much. Thank you, Kirsten. Thanks so much for joining me for this week of a fashion moment. If you like what you hear, we'd love for you to join our community of listeners and spread the word about the show. We also want to hear from you. Share your favorite fashion moments and dream guests with us by sending an audio clip or email to a fashion moment podcast at gmail.com. Or you can tag us on Instagram at a fashion moment and you could be featured on next week's episode. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and let us know what you think. Until then, see you next time for another fashion moment. Podcast production by Rebecca Rashid and John Taylor Williams. Digital media production by Megan Porras. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. Thanks to Patrick Patrickios for their song, Hot Coffee.